Hi, you're listening to 48 Minutes, and this is Tim Kittrow from NBA Jam. Ooh, boom, shakalaka. Joining us today to talk a little Cavaliers, you can check him out on the Believe in Cavs podcast, uh, co-hosted with Derek Anderson, which in my neck of the woods is a very famous name. Uh, This is Mike Angolano. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Uh, How's it going, man? It's going well. It's going even better uh, for all of us Cavs fans, but uh, really happy to be joining you, and I'm excited to talk about some, some Cavaliers basketball. The season's fast approaching. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know last week uh, we did our uh, NBA 2K preview show, and I already declared the Cavaliers would be my team in franchise mode. Uh, so I had to follow up by having a Cavaliers discussion with you, obviously. Sure. Um, so obviously a big change in this offseason, uh, starting with some new unis to get everyone a little excited. I have this, you know, I talked about this on a show in the past where there's this theory where have you ever noticed – Teams change uniforms just as they're about to go on the up and up. So, like, you know, I can say this living in Cincinnati. The Bengals last year go to the Super Bowl, New Jersey's. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a trend we're seeing here. So do you think this is the Cavs, indi- the Cavs idea here? You change unis, you get a superstar player, and you, you're on the up and up, and you're a potential top four playoff team in the East now? You know, I really hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. The last time the Cavs changed unis was 2017-18 which was LeBron's last season in Cleveland. So it was kind of down and down uh, after that change in uh, uniform. But yeah, you know, hopefully it's a little bit of, you know, an up and up. I think the Cavs jerseys have come under a little bit of scrutiny from the fan base just because they are a little simple, but we're seeing that as a, as a pretty common trend around the league. You know, the Pistons just unveiled their new, uh, statement jerseys yesterday and you know i mean they're just kind of plain they're they're they're, they're okay i think the blazers unveiled some jerseys they look kind of plain the jazz you know same deal there's a very minimalist style jersey going on uh the Cavs also fell into that minimalism thing hey they're gonna look great uh with donovan mitchell and evan nobley and darius garland and jared allen wearing them so i will be totally fine with that Will I buy one? Eh, maybe, you know, maybe not. Personally, I'm a big fan of the black from the mid nineties. Uh, you know, that black and kind of lighter blue, but yeah. Yeah. Let's hope that they have an up and up. Yeah. I, I hope so for their sake. I know they're a team I always keep an eye on. My wife's family lives in Cleveland, so they're the team I always kind of okay. have my, my other eye looking at, but you know, let's kind of get right to it. Obviously the Donovan Mitchell deal happens. Um, I think what impressed me the most, and I know if you read up kind of on the conversation, uh, the Cavs were saying, look, we're not going to give up our core to get them. And, you know, you hear that all the time. It's, you know, it's doing business, as they say. Um, You know, we're not going to give up our star players. And, you know, sure enough, when the deal goes through and you see like, well, who they give up, it wasn't any of that core three of Garland, Mobley, or Allen. And then they get to add Mitchell. And, you know, so like having those three to where you can keep in line with getting Mitchell in. Uh, I know everyone does do the whole, like, as soon as something happens, this team won the trade, blah, blah, blah. 
really hate that, to be honest with you. Um, but if I had to pick a winner in the trade, I understand Cleveland gave up about five years of draft picks, counting pick swaps and you know some pretty good players. Uh, I can tell you as a Bulls fan, uh, life's better without Laurie Marketing than with him. I will just go ahead and <laughs> let that out there now. Uh, but the Cavs got to keep their core and get a three-time NBA All-Star. So I feel like the Cavaliers really, quote-unquote, won the trade. But I think it's a good trade for both sides. Yeah, I I think so too. And, you know, the Jazz going into their teardown after they were eliminated from the playoffs, it was pretty clear that they were going to do a teardown with all the stuff between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and their relationship kind of breaking up. The Jazz accomplished what they, I think, set out to do, which is wipe the slate clean. They're still going to be moving on from Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson and, you know, a few of the holdovers from that, you know, series of playoff runs. And they did what they needed to do. They acquired a massive amount of draft capital. They wiped a lot of salary off their books. They did sign Colin Sexton to an extension, which kind of goes against a lot of the things that I heard, which is they wanted to take on no salary um, and keep their books really clean. But they did a, a really nice job. They did get five essentially unprotected firsts from the Cavs. And ideally, those are mid to late 20s in the draft, assuming that the Cavs, you know, take that next step. Um, yeah, they did very well. It's I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't like to talk about winners and losers in trades because – I mean, what are you going to evaluate a trade like eight years later and come back right. to it when all these picks are, you know, selected and think, oh, actually the Cavs lost that, you know, that whole trade. But yeah, they made out well. This was a consolidation move. Uh, I talked about it on the Palace of Pistons podcast just yesterday. This was a consolidation move. They had a lot of pieces, Colin Sexton, Lori Markinen. They had a lot of picks. They saw the core was already really good. Uh, you know, so you consolidate some assets and you get a win now player. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, so I listened to your recap podcast and uh, from the trade that you just did. And one of the things you mentioned that really kind of stuck out to me, and this was kind of like, you know, you've got league pass. So you can kind of watch these things, but I'm not watching the jazz every night when I live on the East Coast. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, what you kind of discussed that, you know, where Donovan Mitchell is kind of grown to have some defensive deficiencies and that kind of like surprised me to be honest with you because like i said i don't watch every jazz game but coming in his first couple of years he was a positive defender as far as defensive box plus minus and i was like wait a minute what and i went and looked it up and sure enough i did not realize he's been a negative defender for three seasons now and that was kind of surprising to me um but the point you kind of mm -hmm. made that i really appreciated was like this is also why i was really interested in the cavaliers potentially drafting malachi branham with the 14th pick, which obviously doesn't matter now, but you know, he's in a situation now where he's going to have Mobley and Allen behind him and Isaac Okoro and guys like that. So like, you know, his defense does not have to be a primary thing anymore. Like in Utah, where it was up to him and Conley to guard the perimeter and kind of keep everyone out. till Gobert stepped in. Now it's kind of like, maybe he kind of like gets back into that team defender role that he's pot that he could do really do, especially with those guys behind him. Yeah. And, and that's, that's sort of the safety net. And it's a pretty nice safety net to have of Evan Mobley, yeah. who has the potential to be, you know, an all defensive caliber player and Jared Allen, who was an all-star and a very good rip protector. And those guys can guard the perimeter. You can't, you know, erase them in a pick and roll scenario. They they will fight on the perimeter against smaller players. You have Isaac Cora, who might start, 
I have an article coming out for Fear the Sword soon about that small forward situation. Isaac Okoro is a very good perimeter defender. He will also be able to help, but yeah, having the big Mobley-Allen duo to sort of eliminate um, anything at the rim and also be able to play on the perimeter, and that allows Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell to sort of just cook on their own, focus on the offensive side of the ball. And the Cavs were a very good team defense last year. It didn't look like they were going to be on paper starting Laurie Markkinen at the three, um, but they ended up being a you know a pretty positive lineup with him at the three and having Darius Garland and having you know kind of a revolving door at shooting guard between Jetty Osman and Isaac Okoro and you know Ricky Rubio for a while, but they still managed it. So I think that Mitchell will come in. You know, hopefully JB Bickerstaff continues to have solid defensive rotations that allow him to be a good team defender again, because that does suit him. He is not a plus defender. The Cavs have a small backcourt. You know, there is limited length, but there's a lot of speed and offensive potential. So Bickerstaff's going to have to, you know, add him in and really hone those defensive uh, schemes to kind of maximize what they're going to have. And that's why having a competent small forward that can kind of hit the corner three and defend like Isaac Okoro really hopefully turns into that sort of maximizes, I think the core four that's definitely going to be starting. Yeah. Which uh, you mentioned, um, obviously that, that third position, uh, as far as like that's the three ball there. And, uh, this is kind of a unique thing for them because it's kind of, do you kind of keep building on the defensive side? Like you mentioned, they were a good team defense. I actually went up to a Cavs game last year. Pretty fun. So I'll play OKC at, uh, I still refer to it as the Q. Um, I had to see Mobley in person. Yeah, I had to see Mobley in person because he's like my favorite young prospect. He is, if you see behind me, uh, he's the guy that I'm buying all the rookie cards for and setting going to get graded. So I'm I'm pretty high on him. Oh, nice. uh, Yeah, very big fan. Very big fan. Even though he went to USC. I let that part slide. Um, But that's okay. Yeah, but um, so at the three position, this is going to be a two questions here. So first you mentioned uh, sure. your article coming up, but depending what you look at, there's some places that look at Isaac Okoro as a starter. I think justifiably makes a lot of sense for what they're trying to do. Uh, but there's also some places who are like batting in for Karis LeVert to kind of be that offensive side and kind of curious how you feel where you like, you know, things go. Um, to me, I do feel like it's a Coro. Keep Karis LeVert as your score off the bench with your microwave, especially when Rubio is healthy. Uh, though Raul Neto, I think, is a really good pickup for, you know, kind of like the bridge until uh, Rubio comes back. But do you kind of feel like it's something where maybe it's game by game that they kind of look at this, matchup by matchup, or do you kind of feel it's going to be uh, one way or the other? Sure. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really tough because as, as I was writing that article, which hopefully will be out tomorrow, uh, ideally on Fear the Sword. Um, when I was going through the list of players, Okoro and Karis Levert made the most sense because of their individual traits. Karis Levert, I think, is probably going to end up being the starter at the three, and they're going to try that out and see how the defense looks because he, he is a ball stopper. Uh, he at least was last year with the Cavs. If he had the ball in his hands, he was probably going to put the ball up at some point. Um, that's, that, that just can't happen. He's going to have to be a little bit more selfless, uh, you know, with Garland and, uh, Mitchell probably getting a lot of the touches. So 
it's, it's kind of interesting. Lavert makes sense from an offensive standpoint. Okoro, if he can hit corner threes or threes from the top of the three-point line, I think that really opens things up a little bit because these defenses are going to have to be focused so much on the backcourt. Okoro can slide in. Oh, and he's fast. He's really quick. And J.B. Bickerstaff needs to try to get him to be more of a cutter, try to sneak around some uh, picks and get him some looks in the corner just – as an option available on offense. If he could stretch the floor just a little bit, he's not trusted to be an isolation scorer yet. He doesn't have the ball handling skills or the ability to create enough to where you're like, yeah, Isaac, just go to work. He doesn't have that, but if he can be maximized as a three-point shooter, corner shooter, uh, and a cutter to get to the rim, I think that's that's really the best case scenario, I think. And then, you know, he also plays – very high-level defense. I think you could see Jetty Osman starting at the three, which will come to the chagrin of many Cavs fans who've seen him shoot the Cavs out of games, but there are games. But not LeBron. LeBron loves Jetty. LeBron loved Jetty, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, he is a safe pick. He's more of a veteran, I guess. He's been with the Cavs for a while, and you kind of know what you're going to get with him. He might kill you defensively. He might shoot you out of a game by the second quarter, but – you know, something about him, he just fits. He's a little bit longer than both Okoro and Levert, so maybe that matters a little bit. And then there's the off-the-wall kind of picks like Dean Wade or Dylan Windler or Lamar Stevens that I don't think that those are going to be the choices. We did see Dean Wade start quite a few games, and he does have the ability to stretch the floor a little bit, but I think he's probably better suited to a bench role. If I was a betting man today, I'd feel like Karis Levert would be the starter, um, it would not shock me in any way if it was Isaac Okoro. And I really hope by the end of the year, by like the like the midway point of the year, we have Okoro certifiably penned in, a, in, in the starting lineup because that means that his three-point shot is coming around. And that helps the bench unit. Like you said, you know, he can come off the bench, Levert, that is, he can come off the bench and he can cook with that second unit. He can punish opposing second units. And, he you know, he's very capable of that. So I, I think Levert, probably for now, but hopefully Isaac, Isaac Okoro is able to take that over, you know, middle part of the year, gets into a rhythm with his three-point shot. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that could be a strong possibility for them. So I was trying to find this on my phone because the second part of this question has to do with a tweet that was sent out last week from uh, Tom Habershaw. And kind of curious to, uh, to kind of add on that two-part or so. Uh, he said the Cavs basically have all stars at every position except a small forward and still have their 2024 first round pick for when a certain prospect becoming draft eligible. So yeah. <laughs> do you feel with the Mitchell trade and LeBron signing his extension with the Lakers, do you feel like this is finally like removing the cloud over the Cavaliers? That is like the LeBron James thing, because it's always come up. I mean, we've joked about it on our show for a year now when the Lakers being really bad, like, Oh, when he's a free agent, you know, he'll probably just go right back to Cleveland and his career there, which, to be transparent with you, I think would be incredibly awesome because I love him and I would love to drive four hours to go see him, but obviously understand. So do you feel like with the, you know, how the dominoes fell and when kind of t- talking about a little bit in his article, when he was reporting about the trade, um, how, you know, once the Lakers signed LeBron to the extension, uh, they kind of knew the move forward. Do you feel like with how everything went here, my long winded way of asking, do you think this is kind of like, ending that and they're like we can now move the Cavaliers can now move past the the cloud of LeBron James gosh I don't ever know if they'll be able to move past that because he's he's just okay 
the last time the Cavaliers won a playoff series without LeBron James was what year? 92? Yep, it was 1992. And until they do that, I think you're going to be having that cloud hang over the team. I hope that this does push them past the LeBron uh, aura that they just can't escape, this force field that they can't seem to push themselves out of. I, I hope it does. I think that having their 2024 pick and Bronny being draft eligible and then you know somehow the Cavs getting him and somehow LeBron coming back to fill the only position that they have a question mark in is too galaxy brain uh, for even me. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, until he retires, I think there will always be that little hint of, well, maybe he'll come back and play. You know, the Cavs are good now. The Lakers are floundering slash not willing to commit their second first round pick to go and, you know, improve the roster in in a way that they probably should. I hope that this is the moment. I hope that they go in, they get a top four seed in the East and they could really make some noise. They're really young. They'd be even better next year. I mean, Evan Mobley could be the best player on this team as as early as next year. And there's just so much room to grow. Hopefully this is the start of the Cavaliers creating their own non LeBron identity and you know showing the rest of the league that they are a competent organization that does not need you know perhaps the greatest player of all time being born about 35 to 40 minutes away to you know to to be a a championship caliber franchise because had that not happened the Cavs would be like the Sacramento Kings of the East just incompetent floundering trying to figure out you know what's next um but they got they got lucky but hopefully this is the moment where they could push past that sort of um, stigma and create their own identity. Yeah, I, I certainly am kind of hoping for that as well. Um, t- two more questions before we get out here. So the sure. first one I want to ask, um, I want to talk about Kevin Love real quick because you really kind of saw when he kind of, once Mobley's drafted, you know, the obvious thing was to move Kevin Love to be kind of in the bench and kind of become their quote unquote six man and really flourish in that role. I thought he was terrific coming off the bench oh, as a guy oh, like, oh, absolutely. Shot the ball really well. Was his best he's ever been from the line uh, in his career. Um, I kind of asked this on the sense of, you know, as a Bulls fan, we kind of just had DeMar DeRozan come into this role. Where now the big question for DeRozan is kind of similar to Love, obviously in different roles, obviously. But uh, do you feel what Kevin Love did last year is sustainable? Do you think another year of that is possible this year, this season? You know, uh, I actually do because of the wear and tear he didn't have to put on his body last year. He was averaging a career low in minutes. He was, you know, clearly much healthier. Kevin Love has dealt with a lot of injuries, a lot of nagging injuries since he signed the extension after LeBron left. Um, He's now on an expiring contract. He's coming off the books next off season. I think he's going to be looking for another short-term deal. He is older. I think he just turned 34. He's going to be able to maintain that same, sixth man seventh man role as a spacing big which the Cavs definitely need um there were some rumors of the Cavs maybe trying to shop that contract around to find a small forward I actually think they need Kevin Love off the bench they need him to be a stretch big next to Robin Lopez or whoever is going to be playing center uh when when he's on the floor I think they're going to need that stretchiness and you know he he didn't have to play a ton of minutes he had a nice defined role. He excelled in it, like you said, last year. I think he can do it again. Uh, 
he, you know, that second unit, it's really going to depend. I mean, he might have a couple other offensive capable players like Karis Levert on the bench unit with him that's able to, you know, absorb some of the opposing defense's attention. That allows him to be a trailer and pick up a couple of easy three-point opportunities. You know, he's going to have Ricky Rubio, who he feels very comfortable with. He could get some pick-and-pop opportunities. I, I, think, I think we should expect a similar Kevin Love as last year, as long as he's able to maintain his good health, which has always been a question, but having a vastly reduced minute load, you know, I, I'm somewhat optimistic, which I can't say was, you know, has been the case with Kevin Love the last, uh, you know, four years or so. What is his Cavs legacy? This wasn't my second part of the question, but just kind of now, that, you know, know, we talked about it because yeah, he's part of the team that wins the finals. Um, he's part of that, th- you know, the team that goes to the championship, uh, four seasons in a row. Um, but it's like, also he was kind of at times like the scapegoat, you know what I mean? Like there was a lot of like, it's Kevin Love's fault. This didn't go our way. I know from the outside looking at, I should say, I don't know how Cavs fans necessarily feel about him, but do you feel he's like, I wouldn't say underappreciated cause that's probably not fair. Cause he's had to be like the third man for, you know, the, the Kyrie LeBron run, but is he a guy you feel like will always be honored in Cleveland? Like does number zero hang at the queue? Like what do you, what is, what is the Kevin Love Cavaliers legacy? Oh, well, I'm, I'm of the mindset that the, that the Cavs should be retiring the starting lineup for, from the championship team. They should be retiring Tristan Thompson. They should be retiring Kyrie Irving. And I'm kind of glad that, Sexton's not on the team just purely because we don't have a number two playing point guard because that number should not be used again. You should be retiring JR like Smith's number five. I think that Kevin Love signing with the Cavaliers, extending, yeah, it was really messy. He was a scapegoat. He was not well liked, you know, just as early as two and a half ish years ago at this point. A lot of people wanted him off the team and he was, you know, had arguably one of the worst contracts in the NBA. I mean, I remember just last summer he was like kicked off of the Olympic team because he was out of shape and not playing well. I think that was a real low point for him. No, I think his legacy in Cleveland is that, you know, he was part of the team that ended a massive, massive championship drought. He stuck around in Cleveland, probably for the money partially, but you know, he, he stuck through the rebuild and I think that's worth something as well. I think his legacy is, you know, he's going to be revered in Cleveland, especially if they, you know, make, the playoffs, win some playoff games again. And he, you know, he kind of comes full circle from championship team, goes through the rebuild, has its growing pains and comes back out the other end as a playoff winning player and a vet that a lot of guys like. I mean, they're happy to play with him. Ricky Rubio is happy to be playing with Kevin Love. You know, Darius Garland is happy to be playing with Kevin Love. These young guys are happy to be sharing the core with him, learning from him. He, He brings a lot of veteran savvy to the team that just two and a half years ago, you would have said he was a cancer on this team. And, you know, he was the, uh, you know, big part of the problem. You can't say that now. So I think it's definitely improved. His number should be retired and hung up in the rafters. Um, And it's just a, it's a nice turnaround. It was a very good season for him last year. I think his, I think his legacy in Cleveland is pretty secure. I like to hear it because he's one of my favorite players. I always really enjoyed his game. Um, all right. So my last question before we get you out of here, uh, you've given me more time than I asked for. So I'm very grateful. Uh, Darius Garland, obviously last year, first all-star appearance in Cleveland also, which was super awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Just his growth last year was unbelievable. And 
I'm a huge Darius Garland fan. You can tell like everything Steph Curry was saying about him in last offseason about how good he's getting. And you really saw go to fruition. I thought he really had a great case for most improved player, uh, which is a lot of fun to watch. Um, with obviously Mitchell there, obviously that helps him out a lot. And having those two guys behind that we've talked about in Mobley and Allen quite a bit, that helps a lot too. What do you expect from him in this season? Coming off his first All-Star, you're really kind of establishing yourself as one of the better point guards in the league. What do you kind of feel is the next step for Darius Garland to kind of continue on this on this improvement? It's a great question. And he was so unbelievably good last year. And yeah, having him as an All-Star in Cleveland was great. I, I had a chance to talk to him for a few minutes uh, right before All-Star weekend. Uh, he was he had a, a, a charity event here and. You know, he loves the city of Cleveland. He, it, it felt even more special to him that he was able to be an all-star for the city of Cleveland in the, you know, in the city where the game is being played. So, you know, I, I think the expectations for him are really going to be a little bit of a mesh. You know, he's got to figure out how to work with Donovan Mitchell. He, if you watched either of the playing games last year, you know that the, the Cavs desperately needed somebody else to take some pressure off of him from an offensive standpoint. Uh, it, it was just so apparent that if he wasn't on or playing well, and he did have a back injury he was dealing with after the all-star break. If he, if there, if there was no other offensive creation happening other than him, the Cavs offense was doomed. So, you know, he's going to be able to play more off ball this year because he's going to have another ball handler and Mitchell on the floor with them or Ricky Rubio, hopefully by the middle of the season on the floor long slam allows him to play a little bit more off ball, get his shot off. He was a very good three point shooter. He has a very crafty handle and, you know, we're going to, we're going to see that extend a little bit more. We're going to see him, you know, have a little two man game with Evan Mobley that evolves over time. It was already very deadly. We're going to see him work alongside Ricky Rubio, you know, when Mitchell has to sit and those lineups with those two were, it was like one of the best lineups. It was one of the best two man lineups in the entire league, the whole league of all players. So I think the growth factor is going to be him adjusting to having Donovan Mitchell alongside him, growing alongside Evan Mobley, um, continuing to work in the pick and roll and continuing to get guys involved. Uh, his playmaking is already very high. He's already a very capable passer, a capable ball handler. We're, we're going to see those things improve with more efficiency heading into this upcoming season. He's going to have some help on the offensive end. You know, Evan Mobley developing as a passer and as a capable offensive player as well, I think is going to matter a lot. So, I think the playmaking for DG is going to improve. I think his ability to create is going to improve. But I think most importantly, you're, you're going to see him evolve his game next to another star in Donovan Mitchell. So a lot to look forward to with Darius Garland. I'm a big fan of his as well. I think he's he's in for another all-star caliber season in, in this loaded uh, Eastern Conference. And it, you know, it's going to be really, really exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I'm very excited to see where he does, especially with having Mitchell next to him. Uh, well, Mike, this was great, man. I, I'm really, really appreciate you giving me some time to kind of talk about the Cavs. Um, before we get out of here, please take a moment to kind of shout out uh, your social medias where people can kind of touch base with you, uh, where they can find your work. By all means, just please take a moment to shout out anywhere people can keep up with your stuff. Sure. Uh, yeah, so you can find players writing on Fear the Sword. I write for SB Nation's Fear the Sword. Um, as you had already mentioned prior, uh, I do do the Believe in Cavs podcast. Had a little bit of an asynchronous cadence for right now, but uh, please do check that out. I am also the co-host of the Palace of, Pist of, the Palace of Pistons podcast 
which is part of the Believe Network as well. We try to hit weekly podcasts uh, for that. You can find me on Twitter. It's my last name. It's at Anguilano M22. You can find me there. Happy to talk about calf stuff. But yeah, Fear the Sword. And uh, on our lovely network uh, for Believe with the two, yeah, with two podcasts. And be sure to look out for the Fear the Sword article about the Cavs small forward situation coming out soon. And I know that we've got preview articles coming out uh, for players and positions as well. I mean, training camp is like in like in three weeks, like in less than three weeks. That's crazy. I know because like tonight's week one of the NFL season, and then you got like that whole like few weeks there of like the end of baseball, football, and basketball starting is always like kind of mind blowing, but. So, yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, Thank you again so much, and uh, we'll definitely have to do this again soon. Absolutely, absolutely. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Raymond. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Perfect.